All right. So um, I'm going to go back up a couple of verses um, just by way of recap. Um, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthian church where he spent 18 months uh, and uh, had a very fruitful ministry, but this is a very difficult group of people. It kind of reminds us of us in our world today. Uh, they were in a prosperous area. They were in a, an area that was very cosmopolitan, and so as a the result, there were lots of influences, right? Um, and uh, that included philosophical and religious influences. Um, there was a, a strong Jewish presence that was there, and uh, as was his uh, policy, the Apostle Paul started in the synagogue and preached the gospel, and then when those who were willing to listen decided to become followers of Jesus, then he took those folks and they continued their ministry elsewhere because uh, there were those in the synagogue that were not willing to be receptive as well. And uh, so he was there for 18 months and uh, not too long after he left, they started having problems. Uh, divisions started cropping up. And this had to do with their loyalty to various leaders. Now, these leaders that I'm about to mention that the Apostle Paul mentions in this letter were not seeking to draw off followers for themselves. Only too often see that today. Um, but uh, they were identifying, that is the Corinthians were identifying with various Christian teachers. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, the, the Aramaic name for Peter. Uh, and then those that were, you know, trying to be really uh, on the ball said, well, I am of Christ. And, you know, Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Okay, did, did I, you know, was Paul crucified for you? He said, I'm thankful that I didn't even baptize any of you. And then he remembered, oh, wait a minute, I baptized this family and that family, which I told you at the time in chapter one is an indicator that the apostle Paul was dictating this, right? So they had uh, an amanuensis that wrote down what the inspired author would say, but it's also a clear indicator that they didn't want to doctor the document at all once it had been written down. Because you would, you know, if you were doing this and dictating it, like for instance, if I were saying something like this online, I, I might pull the stream off and edit that part out where I said, oh, I forgot and I didn't remember. And I've been tempted to do that. It's, it's a rare occasion, but I'll try to think of something and I can't think of it and there's too long of a pause in the message and I'm thinking, man, I really want to take that one down and edit that out so I don't look so stupid, <laughs> right? But the Apostle Paul didn't care and they just, they thought so much of the inspiration, you know, and the flow of that, that they didn't touch these documents. And, you know, as I mentioned at the time, that's a clear indicator that we really do have this original text when it concerns the scripture. Uh, we don't have this doctored document. We have 5,000 different manuscripts of various sizes of the New Testament that date prior to 500 AD, which is an embarrassing plethora of documents um, that allow us to compare and contrast. But because of that, um, we see a variety of differences among the documents that have to do with how it was copied and so forth. But they were unwilling to try to harmonize these. They, they were like, no, that's not what we're going to do. This is the word of God. They took it way too seriously. And I think that 
it counts in favor of the authenticity of the New Testament when we have these various uh, apparent differences or uh, you know, things that seem to be embarrassing, like the Apostle Paul saying, oh, you know, this is the inspired Apostle receiving the message from the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, I don't remember who I baptized. Well, you know, maybe the Lord's just not all that concerned about that. As the Apostle Paul was saying, he wasn't concerned about that. But that was what was happening in Corinth, was this division was going on. And of course, it reminds us today of denominational divisions. And uh, I said very clearly before that I don't think that a variety of denominations with various distinctives are, is inherently bad. It's when we play one church off against another, one denomination off against another. As long as we're preaching the gospel, as long as we're focused on the word of God, and as long as Christ is the foundation, then we can have a variety of differences as far as certain doctrinal distinctives and emphases are concerned. Um, but when you use whatever your particular doctrinal distinctive is to elevate your group above other groups and say, well, these other groups are foolish and they don't know what they're talking about, or maybe even they're not even Christians. And you see a good bit of that, and I'm not getting into that tonight, simply giving you a recap as to what was happening then and how it applies to us today. Um, so this was very destructive, this habit of dividing. And uh, the Apostle Paul was very careful about uh, how he said, uh, I laid a foundation for this church that is Christ. And he said, others are building on it. And they're building on it with wood and hay and stubble. And that's going to all burn up. But there are those that are building on it with gold and silver and precious stones, and that's going to survive the fire of judgment. And then he says this, and this is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You all are God's temple, not you individually. You individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in chapter 6. But you all, that's all of us, comprise the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you or among you. When you think of something being in a group, it is among the members of that group, right? So the Holy Spirit, look at the wall over here to your right, to my left, and those of you can't see our wall, but uh, you probably, well, you know what, I can turn my camera around and then you can see the wall. There's the wall. It's not very well lit for you, but you can see the wall right over there, all right? Um, there are bricks in that wall, and those bricks are held together with mortar. The Holy Spirit is like the mortar, and we're like the bricks, right? Now, this isn't like another brick in the wall, Pink Floyd, right? This is bricks that are being held together to form a temple. Now, this isn't a temple. It's actually a building that was built in 1897 that for many years was a drugstore, believe it or not. Um, so it's McKnight's Drugs. And then the Garland Opry was in here for a while. And then we came in and sublet from them. And then it's been our church for quite some time. But the building is not the temple. You are. Those who are in Christ, we are brought together with the Holy Spirit and we're God's temple. Now listen to this warning in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is why I think it's, we need to be very careful about pointing fingers at different ministers or ministries or denominations or whatever, just speak the truth and speak the truth in love. And if you have 
you know, some sort of a difference of opinion, then offer that and be gracious about that. But we don't, especially in a day like ours, where Christianity uh, on the whole in the West is on the decline. Now, I don't think that that means that actual believers are uh, any less uh, or even any fewer. But in terms of cultural impact, Christianity has been on the decline for quite some time. And oftentimes we find ourselves, those of us at least who believe in biblical morality and what the scripture teaches, we find ourselves at odds with our culture. Um, in fact, I've called it the antichrist culture because it's not just ambivalent to religion, not an agnostic culture. Uh, it has become increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Now, I keep saying biblical Christianity because there are churches and denominations that are capitulating to the culture. And they're basically allowing their views to be influenced by the culture. And so really what we find is these folks have left behind Christ some time ago. Uh, in fact, I, I posted a, a, a verse about that earlier today, um, just talking about how in the last days the, this apostasy will rise. But we need to be careful because um, I'm going to focus on the, the individual truths or moral standards that we would disagree with, with another group. I'm not gonna point my finger at that group and say, you know, all of those people in that denomination or everybody that's listening to that preacher, they're all going, you know, to hell and they don't know what they're talking about. And no, let's, let's focus on the truth. And that's why we spend so much time in here, particularly on Wednesday, going verse by verse through this, because this prepares you to be able to think critically and to be able to approach these things uh, intelligently, right? From a biblical basis. So now let's get into what we were going to look at this evening. Apostle Paul in verse 18 says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, worldly wise, okay? Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. That means they're pointless, right? Um, so let no one boast in men or in humans. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. All right, so I don't know if we'll get past that this evening to chapter four, but I've got chapter four, uh, the beginning of chapter four, uh, prepared as well. Let's look at this first uh, verse here, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Humility is important. Even if we know that we know that we know the truth, it's important to be humble and realize that although, uh, and there are those that have left the very idea of absolute truth behind long ago, but simply because 
I may not have uh, the best grasp on the truth doesn't mean there isn't truth. Simply because I can't explain it well enough doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. In fact, there's a, an informal logical fallacy. The Latin uh, for it is uh, argumentum ad ignorantium, which means an appeal to ignorance. So this is someone who is more well-versed or more educated or more experienced that's arguing with someone who is less educated and says, oh, See, you don't know. You don't know. You're wrong because you don't know. No, that's, no, that doesn't equate to the truth. You may not have the education to be able to fully explain what you're trying to explain, but that doesn't mean that it's not true, right? That's an appeal to, to ignorance. And you know, ignorant, that term can be used in a pejorative sense, and I'm not using it that way. Ignorant meaning literally, I don't know. I haven't had the opportunity to be educated in that particular area. That means I'm ignorant, right? Uh, as opposed to stupid, right? Uh, there's a word that's uh, you know all, almost always used as a pejorative, but someone who is stupid knows better and still proceeds to go down the wrong path, right? So there's a there's a moral deficit that is. Um, a part of that term, right? So pride causes myopia, right? I don't, I'm myopic, right? So I take my glasses off right now and, you know, you all look like uh, one of those blurry paintings, right? So myopia. But if I take my glasses off, I get real close to the computer screen here. Yeah, I can see real well. I think that pride causes myopia. It's this persistent navel-gazing, or in our case, it's the, the persistent staring, you know, at our device here, where we're like in our echo chamber, right? You know, we're, maybe some of you are, are joining via Facebook tonight, and we have the ability to decide who we're going to have on our timeline by saying, well, these people are my friends, and these people are disagreeable, so they're not my friends. And it used to be you could have a hospitable conversation with people that didn't agree with you. It doesn't seem possible anymore, does it? I mean, it's over everything. You know, in 2020, uh, you know, we had all of the political stuff that was going on, just very divisive. And then on top of that, we had the protests and, you know, all of the issues there regarding, uh, regarding race and, and, you know, what was going on. And then, of course, the pandemic. You would think the pandemic would be the great equalizer, right? But it caused people to be more divided. Where did it come from? So initially, there were those at the outset in March of last year who were saying this came from the Wuhan lab. And there were scientists that were saying that. And there was a group of scientists that signed a letter that basically said that any, any scientist that would say that this has anything other than a natural origin, um, you know, is, is not to be listened to. And they're a crackpot and they're a conspiracy theorist. And yet, what are we hearing now? So, you know, I'm only using that as an example um, of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with this, this idea of division. And then there was division over face masks. Oh my goodness, that, you know, that started right away. 
Um, and then it seems, you know, people have gotten so used to it now that, I mean, the CDC has said, hey, if you're vaccinated and you're indoors, don't worry about it. People are still wearing their face, but they don't care, you know? And then you got people that, you know, were actually in at-risk groups, right? And, you know, you've got, uh, you know, some sort of a, a history of uh, autoimmune disease or respiratory or you're older, whatever, and they're not going to wear a mask no matter what. And then you just, so it was just another source of argument, you know, argument. And then the vaccine. <laughs> argument, 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 devise, division, and, you know, and so forth. And I've come down on both sides of those issues. So in July of last year, um, when the infections were going up and the governor was like, hey, you know, we don't want to have to shut things down again, you know, please, you know, do what we ask. And, and so, yeah, I, I went ahead and requested people to wear masks. I didn't require it. I requested it. And I'd say about a third of our people probably wore a mask, which, you know, pretty much defeats the purpose if you know what they're supposed to do. But anyway, um, you know, and Pastor Craig and I were wearing masks up here and we're doing our whole thing. And then when the infections, I just watched the numbers when the infections started going down. Took the, but when I'm wearing the mask, then these people are happy with me and these people are not. And then when I'm not wearing the mask, these people are happy with me now and these people are not. And then I flipped everybody out and went and got vaccinated. And I did that because I thought, well, you know what? There's people that are at risk and they're being terrified. They're scared to leave their house because of the pandemic. And they're scared to get the vaccine. I'm like, you know what? I did my research. I went in there and I said, okay, let's just do it. Got it done. So as of Friday, I'll be two weeks out, fully vaccinated, whatever. Okay, so that makes the people that are more you know, skittish about these sorts of things, it's gonna make them feel better. But I've got a whole group of friends that think that I just made a deal with the devil, basically. You know, and my health is now going to deteriorate and you know, I've shortened my life. And you know what, I kind of pray about these things before I do them. I'm only saying all of this because this is relevant to us and it shows how this there's this ongoing division and we need to be willing to say, you know what, we can agree to disagree. There are some central issues that I won't budge on, okay? Jesus is God's son and there's, there are moral issues that I'm not gonna budge on either. But I'll even have conversations with people who have opposing views without disrespecting them and you know throwing them out. But we have this little um, echo chamber that we create on Facebook or you know whatever your version. Of, I'm old, so I'm still on Facebook. Um, but whatever your your version of social media is, I got off of Twitter. Um, I was using it for, as a source for news, and it, it just got to where I didn't even look at it anymore because the news is such bad news all the time. So I've told you guys, and you guys are, are new this evening, I use a, a news source now called Ground News, like the ground you stand on, but it, the symbol for it is a, a, a ground like you would find in uh, uh, the electrical world, right? It's that kind of like upside down triangle with the little lines on it. But it aggregates news sources from all over the world and then it rates them as to whether they are left-leaning, center, or right-leaning. And then it will show certain stories that are blind spots for the left, like no left news sources are reporting them, or blind spots to the right, no right. I love it. Because now I don't feel like I'm 
being indoctrinated and propagandized, you know, it's okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna watch CNN, you're getting the left. You're getting a particular political viewpoint. If you're gonna watch uh, Fox, you're getting a particular political viewpoint. You see, but this kind of aggregates that. But when I I'm proud of my tribe, and I won't listen to anybody else, then I become very very myopic, right? I'm I'm very nearsighted. And this is an indicator that I am really putting myself in too high of a place of esteem. I remember when I was growing up, there was a lot of talk about self-esteem and how people needed to have higher self-esteem. I think today people need to have lower self-esteem. It seems to me like everybody has ridiculously high self-esteem and that doesn't seem to be the problem anymore, you know? Um, but just, you know, uh, appealing to myself, I may feel that I'm more justified in propagating my opinion because I'm educated, um, because I'm experienced, I've, I've been through certain things. You know what, I've got to kind of leave it up to, I'm, I'm gonna let people, you know, see where I've come from and what I've been, I'm gonna leave it up to you as to whether that, you know, that opinion seems to be educated and valuable or not. I shouldn't have to be hammering. In fact, I will tell you this, um, my college diploma sat in the tube in various drawers all over everywhere I moved from the time I graduated in 1985 from Baylor until this year. And I finally bought a frame for it. And it is, it's for the first time it is up in my office. And my seminary diploma um, was in its, it didn't come in a tube, it came in a, a this, uh, this presentation case, this folder, I guess you will. And uh, it was in there since 1992. And I didn't, you know, ever, I started having these dreams that I didn't finish my education. <laughs> and it was just like this recurring nightmare you know, that uh, there was a class that I'd forgotten to attend. And now there was a final exam and oh my gosh, and maybe I'll have to repeat this. I thought, you know what, I'm going to put these on the wall. And every day when I go and do my work, I can look up there and say, no, you did. You, you graduated, stop having these nightmares. So anyway, but all that to say, uh, I, I shouldn't have to have little cards that say, hey, I'm educated for you to receive, you know, what I've got to say here. This is the same thing with, with you and with those that you're involved with. Um, I know people in this church that don't have the formal education that I have that have tremendous wisdom. And I do listen to what they have to say. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll tell on somebody tonight, uh, Mary is normally here, she's not here tonight, but she's, she's a really good example of that. You know, this is somebody, she's all the time, she, she's constantly saying, uh, Pastor Darrell, she says, I don't know all that stuff. She says, you know, I'm just dumb. I said, Mary, you're not dumb, you know, but I know what the Lord has told me. And I listen to what this lady has to say because she has a legit relationship with Jesus and to ignore that is rather foolish, okay? You get knowledge from a lot of different sources. Um, but what I'm saying is we shouldn't deceive ourselves into believing that just because we have a certain kind of an experience or a certain kind of education, right? Um, 
he says, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The more worldly wise I am, the more in need of humility I am, right? Um, so uh, I have a lot of notes here that I, that I used previously, and I'm going to skip over those. Um, don't dismiss all Christians as being ignorant or foolish just because the world has a tendency to do that. Uh, the associate pastor, the teaching pastor of our church, Craig, uh, was having a brief Facebook debate, um, and I think it was over the, the subject of abortion. Or no, it might have been LGBTQ issues, because this is so-called Pride Month or whatever. And he presented a viewpoint that's a very biblical viewpoint. And a friend of the person who he was discussing this on, on their post um, basically tagged every single thing Craig said with that laughing emoji. You see that everywhere, right? That, you know, certainly it was considered that you would use that because somebody said something funny. It's used for mockery as often or more than it's used to laugh at someone's post, it's used to mock them. And I've had that happen to me before as well. Mockery just indicates you don't have an argument. You don't have anything to say. You're just, and that's another informal fallacy, by the way, right? Uh, appeal to the gallery when you can get your tribe to all laugh at somebody and that means they're wrong. No, it really doesn't. Um, or uh, another fallacy, which we see a lot of, uh, attack on the man, right? An ad hominem argument. Somebody brings forth their argument and you say, oh yeah, well, you're stupid. You didn't give an argument, right? It just shows that you, when you have to appeal to these things, it's an indicator that you, you don't have an argument, you don't have anything to say. But I bring this, uh, this uh, debate, this little brief Facebook debate up because this young lady who was uh, responding to Craig in such a way said, I didn't even know there were people that thought like that anymore. So there it is. It's this appeal to my tribe. And I'm typically in an echo chamber where everybody just celebrates what I celebrate, thinks the way I think. And I can't imagine that somebody would still think biblically, right? But see, if we, if we had a more open discussion with people, we would find, you know what, there's a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. That's the way this country, that's the way we've been, right? This talk of tolerance and how important it was. What happened to tolerance? Well, the side that wanted tolerance now has power, so they're intolerant, right? Yeah. In any event, um, we need to, as believers in Christ, we need to be educated. We need to be biblical. We need to understand why we believe what we believe. And then we need to be willing to speak the truth in love. And I don't have to feel like I must apologize for my Christian faith. We call the discipline of explaining your faith, giving reasons for what you believe, apologetics. But it doesn't mean you're apologizing. There should be no need for that. If people are offended, it's because they've chosen to be offended. Now, if I come off and my personality offends them or, you know, I'm saying or doing things that are mean and so forth, then obviously for that I will apologize. But I'm not going to apologize for having a biblical worldview. 
for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So what the world sees as wisdom right now is foolishness from God's perspective. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Now that term wise that is used there in scripture could have this beside it each time it's being used because it's referring to wisdom as the world would class it, as the world would consider it. So there's two types of wisdom. There's this worldly wisdom and then there is godly wisdom or, or uh, spiritual wisdom. And it, each type of wisdom depends on your presuppositions. It depends on your assumptions. It depends on your faith, essentially, okay? Sooner or later, the truth is gonna come out. So as I said earlier, the, all of the, you know, the discussion now, even in the more liberal media about the Wuhan lab, link, uh, lab leak is an example. The truth will come out. It's eventually, sooner or later, the truth is going to come out. And uh, belief in a biblical Christ and what scripture has to say is going to come out as well. So um, don't worry if some intellectual or verbal gymnast seeks to disprove the Bible, cast dispersion on Christianity, or doubt the biblical Christ. The Bible has withstood hundreds of years of criticism, and Jesus promised that the gates of you probably heard it in King James, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's actually the Greek word Hades, and it represents the same uh, idea as the Greek word Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. What it means is that death is not going to overtake, the church is not gonna die out. You know, there's uh, a lot of discussion right now about uh, how church attendance has fallen below 50% for the first time in the United States in however many years. Okay, well, there's a couple of things that are happening here. Mainline churches that left the Bible behind a long time ago have been in decline for some time. What's a mainline church? Presbyterians, Methodists, um, Episcopalians, right? Uh, there was a battle, so-called battle for the Bible in the early part of the 20th century, whether they would continue to believe the, the Bible as they had or whether they would begin to take on this critical view of scripture that sees it as being allegorical and uh, basically writes it off and doesn't see it as being the foundation for faith. Well, many of these churches did that. And these are the same churches now that are capitulating to the culture when it concerns LGBT issues, right? Um, so those churches have been in decline for some time. There has been an explosion of non-denominational churches in the last 20 or 30 years. Many of those don't have membership roles. Now it's strange to me because we're, we have a, a covenant process in our church for becoming a member because we're still a congregational form of government, which means that major decisions are approved by the community. Now we just have one major meeting a year. We didn't have one this last year because of uh, uh, COVID but we have one major meeting a year and we present the, the, these uh, uh, proposals to the, the church and the church approves them um, or declines to approve them. And so as the result, we need to have voting members. Now, a church that has a Presbyterian form of government, right, a presbytery, a board of elders that governs it, may have a method of bringing those elders on 
that is simply the elder board brings on more elders. So it doesn't rely on a group within the congregation to vote on anything. And there are increasing numbers of churches that are like that. It's really, they've gone the direction of major corporations, right? There's a board of directors, and then there's a president, vice president, and so forth that run the company. And so this is kind of the, the direction that many churches have, have gone. And so they just really don't even have membership roles. So as the result of the decline in mainline churches and an explosion of non-denominational churches that don't have membership roles, you have this contributing factor to um, there being fewer, quote unquote, members of churches. I don't think that that means that there are fewer Christians. I think it means that there are fewer cultural Christians because the culture is not Christian any longer. Um, it's no longer beneficial in our culture to be an outspoken Christian, right? To have a, you know, kind of your own personal faith and belief in God, that's fine, but not to be an outspoken Christian. Take the case of Tim Tebow. Can you think of anything that this guy has ever done wrong? Right? Phenomenal football player uh, in Florida. Um, won the Heisman Trophy. Could quarterback, could, you know, be a, a you know, uh, uh, what is it? It used to be called a fullback. What am I trying to say? Huh? Running back. Thank you. I'm really old. <laughs> Back in the halfback and fullback days. He could be a running back, right? All of this. So now his former college coach is uh, the coach of an NFL team and is going to bring him on. And now all these people are upset. Why are they upset? Because Tim Tebow is an outspoken Christian and they don't want to hear what he has to say. And they know at every single game, his faith is going to be on display and they don't want to hear it. This is a guy that does nothing but good all the time, right? But this is a really good example of what we're dealing with in our world right now. Uh, this football coach that uh, got fired because he prayed on the 50-yard line at the end of all of his games. He didn't invite all his players out there. He didn't say some loud prayer, you know, that was mandated and whatever. He just went out, quietly knelt at the 50-yard line and prayed, and he's fired. These are examples of what's going on in our culture where Christianity is on the decline. But that shouldn't cause you and I to hide our faith. Our faith needs to be on display, not as a way of saying, hey, I'm better than you, I'm a Christian and you're not, I'm going to heaven and you're not. Uh, but the reason our church is called LifeWell is because I want us to be an example of living a healthy life, of living life well. Show them. Live a better life. I don't have to win some argument because I can win the argument and lose the person, right? But if I can show people by the way I live my life that I've got something, then they may want what I have. And I'm gonna be open about sharing that. And you know, the, as we used to say, witnessing. Um, but worldly wisdom is folly with God, right? Um, so, uh, I like uh, these, these two uh, scriptures from Proverbs. Proverbs 1-7, I make my, uh, my karate kids memorize. I teach a karate cl class on Tuesday. And uh, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
So according to scripture, you're a fool if you don't fear the Lord. You may not have warm personal feelings about the Lord, but you're a fool if you don't believe that he exists and that you, you fear judgment day that is coming. And then Proverbs 1, excuse me, Proverbs 9, 10 uh, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So see, that's the fundamental difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is predicated on human pride and doesn't have any appeal to acknowledging the existence of God. Godly wisdom begins by acknowledging God, acknowledging his existence, acknowledging that he is the creator, right? So, you know, looking at our world simply because a particular moral or theological or philosophical position is no longer popular or in vogue, doesn't abrogate or relegate it to irrelevance. The truth is true regardless of how many people vote for it. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah, let's end this chapter. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Cephas, that's again, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So don't feel like you're missing out. You know, a lot of times, we, you know, I mean, there are people that are losing their jobs because they're taking biblical positions on morality. But if I'm trusting the Lord, then I realize that, you know what, if I lose this job with these people, the Lord is going to promote me. The Lord is going to provide for me. I'm going to uh, be cared for. And so I don't have to give in, compromise uh, those views. I love this, though. He, he begins by saying, all things are yours. That's incredible. What does that mean? All things are yours. Um, listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10, 29 through 31. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. See, in the end, it's where do you want to get your reward? Do you want the reward now, in the immediate, or are you willing to delay gratification and get the reward in the end? Now, I don't know what the number is. Um, I, I need to go back and do this on a calculator again, but uh, there's an old example it's not about uh, biblical values, but it's about delaying gratification. But it's interesting. Uh, I can bring a group of kids up here, right? And I can hold up, you know, a $20 bill or a $100 bill. Say, now, would you rather have this today or would you rather wait till the end of a month and receive a penny doubled every day. Now, you're adults, so I'll just offer you $50,000. I don't have $50,000, but just, just assume for the sake of argument, I do. I'll give you a briefcase with $50,000 in it. Or, at the end of a month, I will give you the value of a penny doubled every day. Now, I bet you know what you should take because of the way I'm phrasing this argument, but which would you be tempted to take? 
Well, many of us just, yeah, give me that 50 grand. I can go spend that right now. But at the end of a month, a penny doubled every day is multiple millions of dollars. I think if it's a 31-day month, it's something like $10 million. You just got to wait. You want the good stuff? Then don't grab everything now. This is when I used to uh, do teenagers. I was a, a youth minister for many years. And this is what I would say to them when it concerned, you know, waiting until you get married to be intimate because God's got a better plan than what the world offers. The world offers this instant gratification and right now, but God's got a, a much better plan, right? And we're waiting on Christ who wants to give us something that's greater than anything here in this world. Um, all things are yours. What we're talking about is the inheritance of those who have been adopted into the family of the creator of the entire universe. The Father made all things through the Son and for Him, and humans were made caretakers of the creation and have been taken captive by sin and death. Christ died and rose to return us to this position of privilege. He offers to share His inheritance with you and with me. Listen to what it says about uh, Christ in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, every, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, those are big statements. That's a, that's a very high Christology. But what that means is everything belongs to Christ. It was made through him and it was for him. And human beings created in the image of God were given stewardship over planet earth, right? And then what happens? We believe the lie of the enemy and we messed that stewardship up. Christ died to restore everything to the way it should be. So here's Christ who really owns it all. When I'm in Christ, then that is mine as well. That's why the scripture can say, all things are yours. So in a very real sense, those of us that are Christians are brothers and sisters. We belong to one another. Now, that's something hard for me, as I'm very much a, an individualist. I'm very, very independent. It's hard for me to grasp this idea of us belonging to one another. But that's what we're dealing with when we have this, this big statement here that he ends the chapter with. Because he says, listen, it started off, chapter one started off with them being divided. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. And it concludes in chapter three, listen, all things are yours. I'm yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. The world is yours. It's all yours, right? That's bigger and better than anything that anybody in the world can offer any of us. This is a staggering promise, right? Um, so we receive this through our involvement with one another in the community of the church. Um, so the statement that Jesus made when he said, no one has left house or brothers or sisters, father, mothers, uh, children, lands, etc., cetera, um, who will not receive many times in this life, 
and in the life to come eternal life. Well, that happens when we're involved with one another in the community of believers, in the community of the church. And if you look in the first century, uh, those folks were willing to sell their excess property and distribute it to any as they had need. You didn't have to come up with some form of socialism, Marxism, communism. People were just willing to share. And I see this in our church all the time. There's a willingness to share. When somebody has a genuine need, there's a willingness to share. And that's why we're in possession of all these things, right? Um, so in this church, uh, I have everything that I need. Um, and I remember that the Apostle Paul says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered the heart of man, this God has prepared for those who love him. That's a big deal. And again, this is about delaying gratification. This is about waiting until the end. And then I like this, in uh, con the conclusion of the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I've got a good imagination. You have a good imagination. Can you imagine good things happening to you and to your family? And here it says, him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you can imagine or think. You think you know what you'd really like to have and what you'd really want. I'm seeing all these posts on Facebook now. Could you do without alcohol for the rest of your life for $3 billion? I'm like, duh. <laughs> what are you talking? Do you know how much $3 billion is? Give me a break. You got to be pretty addicted to alcohol if you can't do without alcohol for $3 billion, right? So, but there are certain things that, yeah, maybe we will do without in this life that other people uh, enjoy. But, you know, in the end, a lot of the things that people enjoy end up ruining them anyway. So if I am willing to have that sense of delaying gratification and realizing that there's something far better. Now, when you're a young guy like Noah over here, thinking about delaying gratification until the end and you're going to die, you're like, that's like a million years from now. Right? That's like way too long. I can't do that. And see, the Lord's going to carry you along all in the intervening years. That's, uh, you know, there's, there's reward from the Lord while we're living in this life. But in the end, we're looking forward to these greater things. We really are. Now, you know, like I said, I did youth ministry for years and I probably over-identified with youth during those years. And um, now I'm getting to the other end of my life and I'm like, no, you know what? I'm glad I did delay gratification. I'm glad I didn't get into a lot of the junk that I could have gotten into um, if I would have just believed the world's lies. So why trade this inheritance that God has offered for perverse pleasure, entropic greed, or my own tiny kingdom? That's why we delay gratification. I'll never have it all on my own, but I am promised everything in Christ. I'm not losing anything and I'm not missing out by living for Christ and turning away from worldly pleasures. Jesus said it plainly, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Amen? All right. 
that's all I got for tonight. We're going to end just a little bit early. And uh, I appreciate you guys coming. Those of you guys on YouTube, I thank you guys for coming. And uh, those of you guys that are on Facebook, I really, really appreciate you being a part of what we're doing tonight.